All right. Welcome, everyone, to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined not by Brian Wells this week, but by special guest host, recurring one at that, Benjamin Carlson, who joins me from the Affable Chat podcast and other ventures to help talk about both kinds of football in this episode. Starting with NFL, looking back on week 10, We'll talk about his Niners, how things are looking for them following a Sunday night win over the Chargers. Steelers beat the Saints. TJ Watt is back. What are my expectations for them down the stretch as I try to salvage a not very good season? And talk about some of the other notable action and storylines from the past week in the NFL before moving on to talk about the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 set to kick off this weekend and uh, luckily for me, I have Benjamin joining to help guide that conversation. We'll talk about the tournament, the differences this season with the tournament taking place in the fall in November, as opposed to the normal summertime events of the recent past. And we'll do a group-by-group group breakdown of the field, talk about the U.S. men's national team's chances, talk about some of the notable contenders, potential sleepers, dark horses, give you everything you need to know there. And then finally, in honor of the World Cup happening, we'll be counting down our top five countries participating in the tournament that we would like to visit but have not gotten the chance to yet. So should be a fun one, the throwback to the Ben and Corey podcast days. So with that, let's get started. took me uh, more than a few tries to get the intro going. I'm just so used to instinctively saying and joined as always by Brian. Well, no, he's not here this time. And then it's, well, how do I introduce that it's someone who is never on with us anymore? But uh, I think that's just a minor little hiccup for what should be a really fun time in having a one-on-one episode with just you for the first time in a very long time now. Yeah, real throwbacks to the old days, uh, early in the podcast days. Yeah, the, the uh, OG listeners probably remember the the Ben and Corey podcast. They They're probably got... looking at their phone right now trying to see what year it currently right? is with the <laughs> podcast with just the two of us. Yeah, uh, but it, it's fun to do that every now and then, uh, you know, mix things up, keep the uh, listeners on their toes, if you will. So uh, joining me this week, not as always, but... Often regular recurring guests at this point, uh, Benjamin Carlson. So glad to have you on this episode. Yeah, glad to be here. Uh, you know, I am the uh, w- w- the half of Affable Chat, uh, another podcast, a sister podcast of uh, He's Done It, if you will. I've yes. been I've been listening to the C Team podcast, which I would say is another sister podcast of both of these sister podcasts, and we've got a whole. Uh, triplet situation going on. So shout out Kenny, 
uh, for his his multiple shout outs of us. You know, if we keep this podcast conglomerate going, and I'm always happy to lend my voice uh, on uh, any of the sister podcasts, especially he's done it. Yeah, I, I think it's reasonable to call it the Affable Chat Podcasting Universe if we had to name it after any at this <laughs> point. I mean, you were the original one. I think that, uh, you know, you, you've kind of set yourself as a standard, which, uh, you know, for those who aren't familiar, which uh, I think a lot of our veteran listeners would be at this point, Affable Chat is a mostly movie review with pretty much you'll you'll just find an excuse to report pop, a yeah, podcast pop, at any time. pop culture you know in general but yeah we focus on reviewing movies every week um and then we also do interviews when we get the opportunity and um and I, i'm flattered that you would say that we we would be like the apple chat network maybe that's what it is maybe that's what people would say but i like to think that we're stronger together all of us making these podcasts together if you want to go fast go alone but if you want to go far go together and that's how i feel about uh collaborating with he's done it yeah i love i love that saying that is a great way to describe it of course you are the one who has the website affablechat.com and there are nice links to <laughs> he's done it on there which i definitely appreciate your new favorite website that's right affablechat.com yes. log on today and see what's going on right now yes and affable chat is not only just a podcast you do have a Twitch stream, which is normally weekly. Uh, seems like you've had a lot going on in your life in recent months that have kind of yeah. I, I've kind of updated <laughs> the way that I promote. I used to say live every Tuesday at seven p.m. Now I just say live on Tuesdays at seven p.m. Uh, because that's go. pretty much the only time I'll be live. But if it's seven p.m. on a Tuesday night, you might just see Apple Chat live on Twitch, Twitch.tv/slash Apple Chat. Yes, and this week you had your brother on to talk about the FIFA World Cup, among other things. But that was a big segment on this week's stream. I definitely felt uh, like I learned a lot just from you know listening to him break down the tournament. And I'm excited to kind of pivot off that, continue the conversation with you here in this episode. So yeah, definitely. It's 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 something that uh, you know the, the World Cup only comes around every four years, so it's good to get a refresher before you get back into it. And hopefully, this podcast can be that refresher for uh, listeners if he's done it. Absolutely, I know that I fall in the pretty prominent category of people who really only care about soccer every four years. I I mean, I, I've become more interested in recent years, just having a lot more friends who are also fans of soccer. That it's harder to avoid it like it was in my youth <laughs> days uh but i i definitely get very excited about the world cup and that is a big reason why you're on as a guest host but not the only reason because uh while you're a fan of the traditional football you're also a fan of american football and unlike me you root for a team that actually seems like they're in pretty good shape when it comes to uh playoff aspirations and goals this year maybe not Exactly as expected, given the loss of Trey Lance early in the season. But hey, Jimmy Garoppolo, all he does is win. Nobody is better at ending a game with more wins than touchdown passes than Jimmy G. <laughs> Ten and two record in games where he doesn't throw a touchdown, including Sunday night's win over the Chargers. So five and four, uh, very much in the thick of the playoff race. I think they'd be the seventh seed in the NFC if the That's season the ended today. Playoff picture I saw. Yeah, yeah, seventh so, seed. How are you feeling about your Niners as we enter the uh, the final half of the season here? You know, any given Sunday, I'm feeling confident about this 49ers team. I feel like with this, especially with this offense, but also with this defense, we can we have the potential to be able to beat anybody. Um, I think on paper, we look like a very, very good football team. 
but it's a little bit of a different thing to actually watch us play. <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, if you just look at uh, this past weekend against the Chargers, that first half was uh, it was tough to watch. I thought for sure that we were going to let the Chargers uh, just uh, t- take off, and um, they the Chargers did have the lead for a while, and uh, but they they could have done a lot more. I think the Chargers a got in their own way, and b suffered from more injuries after already being right. super injured. Uh-huh. So we're, we're, we're very fortunate to not be facing a full-strength Chargers uh, team. But then you go into the second half, the defense steps up, we shut them out. The offense, totally uh, impotent in the red zone, still puts points on the board with Robbie Gold field goals, and, uh, and they're able to squeak out a, uh, a win. That looks great against a, a team with a, a record above 500. But again, I don't think that that record reflects the exact Chargers team we saw on the field. So I'm feeling confident that this team has a lot of potential, but I'm still waiting to see it fully shown on the field. Yeah, and I think that's a fair way to look at it because the Niners have won some games recently against a team like the Chargers, who going in the year, so many people are like, oh, this is like a dark horse Super Bowl team. Everyone wanted to be like, they're going to take over the AFC West. It's their division. And like always, they deal with injuries and other just horrible things that happen to that curse franchise. And yes, they're five and three coming in this game. Didn't necessarily feel like a five and three team. Certainly have won some games against lesser competition and just they're banged up is one way to look at it. Not that the Niners aren't, like you said, like they both teams have. Well, it, it, that's the thing, though. The, the Niners are less banged up yes. at this point. And I think people look at something like the Falcons game and they're like, the Niners lost to the Falcons. If they can lose to the Falcons, like the the ceiling and the floor for this team are both very far away from each other. Yeah. Uh, but that Falcons game, we were obliterated injury wise uh, so it, it's tough i know that every team has to deal with injuries but it, that was the low point for this team for this season that was probably the worst niner squad we've seen uh, for this season because we were so banged up and we've a lot of those people come back debo samuels come back nick, nick bosa's come back um you know eric armstead and javon kinlaw I don't know when they'll come back, but there's a potential they could come back as well. So it's like the team has gotten healthier than they were a few weeks ago. And that's why I feel more confident. You know, that again, those players on paper are really good. Yeah. And I think that's always been the story with the Niners is when they're fully healthy. Like this team can be loaded after adding Christian McCaffrey to an offense that already has Debo Samuel and George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk. Doesn't matter if it's Jimmy Garoppolo just being a game manager quarterback because he has all these weapons that can break off a long touchdown at any time. Just a very explosive type offense. And then the defense has plenty of stars on the other end, guys like Fred Warner, Nick Bosa. Uh, and a, I think that the Niners ceiling to me has always been a Super Bowl team. And last weekend, or last week, I should say, we were talking on this episode, just looking ahead to the second half and who we thought were some of the biggest threats uh, in the NFC. And even though the Niners were kind of lower in the standings, they're a team that stands out just because it's like we see all this talent. We know what their their highs look like. It's just about avoiding the lows. And if they avoid enough lows to get to the playoffs, should be very dangerous when they get there. So I don't know if my expectations are as high for them uh, with Jimmy Garoppolo as a quarterback, but again, his you know that the ceiling is higher than or the floor is higher than whatever Trey Lance could give you. Trey Lance, in theory, had a higher ceiling. It's unfortunate you don't get to find out, and who knows when we actually will. But you know, Jimmy Garoppolo took the team in the NFC Championship game last year, and uh, 
you know, I think that there's, there's plenty of reason to believe that he can pull it off again, especially when you look at the NFC and just some of the other teams in there. Absolutely. The NFC seems just as wide open as ever. And, uh, you know, it, it really, I would love to see this team get hot at the right time. Um, you know, still plenty of season left to kind of gel, get McCaffrey more involved and, you know, just put things together. But on the topic of Trey Lance, it's probably too early to have this conversation, but I have no idea what the Niners do this off season. Let's say Jimmy Garoppolo gives you another NFC championship berth, maybe even a Super Bowl appearance. What then? Are you really going to look a gift horse in the mouth and say, this is not our guy when Trey Lance hasn't proven anything yet? I don't know what they're supposed to do. Yeah, No, it's it's a really tough situation that the the Niners are about to find themselves in. And I think in some ways there's a little bit of a parallel to the Packers with Jordan Love being that he was a first-round pick, traded up to get him. Not as many assets, but it's like, you got to play the guy if he's if you want to take advantage of the NFL salary cap structure with a rookie quarterback. Now, the difference there is Aaron Rodgers puts up back-to-back MVP seasons after Jordan Love gets drafted, while Jimmy Garoppolo might be, uh, well, he was the quarterback in charge of just an awesome team that went on a deep playoff run. So we'll see how things play out, but that is very much a real question that uh, we will get an answer to because Trey Lance gave up a lot for him, multiple first-round picks, and in theory, he's a guy who's this perfect fit in the Kyle Shanahan offense, but he's going to enter his third year in the league with almost no experience and it's not even just no nfl experience he barely had any college experience and the guy's only thrown 500 passes since high school or something like that so it's uh pretty amazing to think that you know he's someone who is just going to be able to take over for a very proven veteran and like they're going to be much better but right and it's like at what point with such a like small resumes like what point does trey lance stop being a a, a, like football player and just become a 49ers super fan like he's just (laughs) on the bench like out there Uh, with the guys rooting on the niners i mean you can see him on sundays you know he's out there uh it's it's really tough to think that you just give like especially if jimmy's playing well that you just say no to that and then go with whatever uh you're gonna get with trey lance uh i don't know i don't know maybe i'll eat these words one day when trey lance is uh you know putting his gold jacket on but um Which, i i just you know i'm sure you'd be happy about it assuming it happens in san francisco and not after absolutely <laughs> but but like it just yeah I, I just feel like there's a lot riding on that decision in the off season i mean maybe my bold take or my, my like uh, uh well, i forgot what we said it was like the, it was your, the category your was. bold prediction for yeah the was season. that yeah. we would get something in exchange for jimmy garoppolo and now i could see that happening if we trade him away in the offseason but uh so is he he's yeah. still under contract next year actually I, I don't agent? think so i, don't I thought so, that actually. the deal would, was i think we'll, it's a one year that's what i thought like we'll bring you back for a year if you know when they thought he'd be the backup if we can find a home for you at the deadline that you approve of we'll send you there otherwise you just get to become a free agent and you know you can go on your merry way so we'll see i mean maybe it's just they get a compensatory pick if he signs a big enough contract somewhere which seems like that seems likely i think that's how it would work but 
I, I would love to see right? that. I, I still like Jimmy. You know, I have no slander for Jimmy. He's done mm-hmm. great things to the 49ers. He's done great things for Kyle Shanahan, by the way. Oh, for uh, sure. Like, yeah. A lot of people that are like, oh, Jimmy Garoppolo only has a lot of wins because of Kyle Shanahan. It's like, mm, maybe it's the other way around. Yeah, maybe Kyle I, Shanahan only has a lot of wins because of Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I definitely do not subscribe to that idea. To me, it's, if anything, Jimmy has a lot of wins because of the team around him. You know, I'm not going to say Kyle Shanahan deserves no credit, but I don't necessarily look at Jimmy as a product of Shanahan. Um, I do think that he's someone who's he's taken advantage of a situation, but I don't consider Kyle Shanahan to be like this incredible, like all time NFL coach at this point in his career. So, well, he's still got a lot of time left this season to prove things, but, um, you know, it's going to be with Jimmy at the helm. So they're going to have to take him as a package deal. Yeah, so I do want to get into just talking about the NFC playoff picture in general. You know, something we kind of teased there. But before, another thing that you also just mentioned, talking about your bowl prediction. Uh, so before the season started, the last time you were on He's Done It was for our AFC West and NFC West division preview. And in that episode, we talked about the AFC West and we entered the season under the impression that this was a loaded division. Four teams did a ton in the offseason, like reshaping themselves, a lot of talent coming into the division. And all four of these teams were very much playoff caliber. Somebody would have to finish in last place, though. And that was kind of where our discussion started. And you and Brian both went with the Raiders, but more not in a, oh, like they're going to be terrible way in a well, their defense is not the same as these other two. So that's kind of default option here. And I was very optimistic about Las Vegas. And part of it was I don't want to just say the exact same team because that's not boring. I want to you know, have a little bit of discord in here. And uh, I said the Chargers. And the biggest reason why I didn't say the Raiders was because they had so much success in 2021, given all the turmoil, having to fire John Gruden early in the season having their former first-round pick get arrested for vehicular manslaughter, had to be released from the team, uh, and they still found a way to go 10-7 and seven and make the playoffs. So to me, it was you add Devontae Adams to this team, you add Chandler Jones, you're making them even better, and yes, you're replacing the head coach who took over, Rich Passaccia, but Josh McDaniels has to be a good coach at this point, right? After all that time in New England under Bill Belichick and... The results have not been great. They're <laughs> they 2-7, and seven, uh, just lost to the Jeff Saturday-coached Indianapolis Colts uh, just a week after he was on Get Up. He's going into Las Vegas and beating Josh McDaniels, which hurts even more given the fact that McDaniels turned down the Colts years ago yes. to go back to oh. New England poetic jeff saturday possibly the greatest coach of all time undefeated career (laughs) as a head coach i i'm making a move a lot of people have said this uh it's a very popular thing that's going on right now we're all uh, in agreement that nfl football should now be played on saturdays in honor of jeff saturday the greatest coach of all time it it was very impressive on his end Um, i don't know how much he was able to contribute i think he is the one who said why are we starting sam ellinger Frank yes. Reich is gone. <laughs> I can just do whatever. Let's put Matt Ryan back in. And of course, Matt Ryan goes out and has his like best Michael Vick impression, just yes. running all over the Raiders defense. But uh, <laughs> definitely a lot of credit to the Colts. I thought that when they decided to hire Jeff Saturday, it's like, all right, we give up on this season. 
let's just bring in a former fan favorite, just have some fun. I mean, it's Jim Ursay is the owner, who's just a, a crazy man in his own right. So didn't have any expectations. They pull out this victory. And to me, this game speaks way more about the failure that is Josh McDaniels in Las Vegas. And I... I really don't know how you can justify keeping McDaniels as a coach outside of the fact that Mark Davis doesn't want to fire him and pay him even more money uh, because this guy, he, it's just, he's clearly not a good NFL coach. He yeah. started his career 6-0. and I think he's like 7-24 and since then. So now uh, the Raiders 2-7, and already have as many losses as last season, uh, very much feel like they're out of the playoff conversation at this point in the AFC. And I'm pretty frustrated just hearing some of the words that Mark Davis says in his press conference defending McDaniels. And it's not even like, like, I, I get it. Uh, there is stuff coming out saying that Davis is, I think Forbes said Davis is the poorest NFL owner, which, you know, <laughs> only means so much. But, uh, you know, he's not no, someone. He's not the poorest. He's the least rich. Yes, the okay? least rich. Yes, you're right. That's probably a better way to phrase it. But it's also, uh, I get that he's maybe not. Uh, feeling like he wants to be paying multiple head coaches lots of money at the exact same time. To me, that is the only justification for McDaniels having a job. But instead, he goes out there and says that he's really pleased with how things are going. Like he, yeah, McDaniels, great job. He's the guy. And I, I love the phrase, Rome wasn't built in a day. <laughs> if you were talking about Doug Peterson in Jacksonville, where that was just a complete dumpster fire in the wake of the Urban Meyer fiasco, then yeah. If fans were complaining about the Jaguars being three and seven and say, hey, Rome wasn't built in a day. If, you know, Shad Khan comes out and says that about Doug Peterson, totally fair. It would be crazy to expect Jacksonville to go from that to like a playoff team. But the Raiders were a playoff team last year. They were a very good football team. And McDaniels has come in and just kind of destroyed them. They're 0-6 in one-score games. Like, okay, he's keeping them competitive, but they haven't been able to pull out wins. And I think oh, that and he's... the collapses, too. Yeah, like, oh, the, like, where yes. they have, like, 17-point 17, leads, yeah, three of lose. them. 20 to nothing against the Cardinals, 17 nothing against Jacksonville. I think they were up 17 nothing against the Chiefs. So, yeah, it's just been a, a horrible, horrible season in Las Vegas. And, uh... I think Josh McDaniels deserves all the criticism he's been getting from everyone else not named Mark Davis. <laughs> well, I love that uh, Mark Davis is is using that exact term or that that phrase because uh, you know coming from Vegas, I, f I feel like he would he would probably say Caesar's Palace wasn't built in a day, <laughs> yeah. and, and neither was uh -huh. the MGM or the Aria. So you've got to give us time here. Uh, but yeah, I agree. Josh McDaniels' time is running out, and it's it's actually really sad to see. Uh, with Derek Carr, like his emotional press conference after the game. Uh, it's, it, I don't know, it's a reminder that these players are human and also that they do care, despite mm -hmm. your favorite, your friend who's only a college football fan who says that the pros are just doing it for the money and they yeah. don't care about winning. Show That's them that Derek Carr all. press yeah. conference, dude. It hurts. It hurts to lose. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's already... Uh, the season's already over for these Raiders. Yeah, and I, I do agree with you on that Derek Carr take. And I think it's it's pretty unfortunate what he's had to deal with with the Raiders. Like they're just a very poorly run organization top to bottom over the you know, what, eight or nine years of his career. He's throughout the whole John Gruden era, it was all right, when is Derek Carr getting traded somewhere? Like when are they moving on from him? And he continued to be a great quarterback. And I had 
I had higher expectations for him than I should have coming into the season, given a lot of the talent around him, but also a lot of those guys are hurt. Hunter Renfro's barely played. Darren Wall is barely played. So uh, they haven't really had the the best complement of weapons that you thought they would have, um, even after bringing in Devontae Adams. But yeah, I mean, it, it is tough to see um, Derek Carr, you know, getting emotional like that. Um, and it's one of those where it's like, well, you know, this is kind of your fault in a lot of ways because I don't think he's lived up to par. But uh, it's it's definitely frustrating seeing a team just kind of collapse in the ways they have, just given where they were in just a matter of half a season. Well, one thing that was cathartic to see was the game coming down to basically a fade to Devontae Adams being covered by Stefan Gilmore and ah. Gilmore still got it. Yep. Still a great cornerback shutting down, you know, potentially the most skilled wide receiver. You could say, I can't, I don't know if you can say he's the best wide receiver, uh, the way he's well, with just the production this season and some, some other wide receivers having amazing seasons, but, um, Stefan Gilmore was too much for him. And then the game came down to that play. I thought it was pretty cool to see a Gamecock shine. I enjoy seeing him shine more though now that he's not in New England. I'll, I'll definitely yeah, say yeah. that. <laughs> um, I I always forget that he's on the Colts because the Colts have just been so bad this season that Gilmore is just someone who's kind of forgotten. But I when I do hear his name this year, it's usually been for good reasons. Not bad I feel ones. like that that throw is is a good idea in almost any other case, but mm-hmm. not against Stephon Gilmore. True. Yeah. So. Uh, you did mention us now, Adams, maybe one of the best receivers in the league. He's certainly up there, but I think the guy that a lot of people are gravitating toward right now is Justin Jefferson. Just an unreal catch on Sunday against the Buffalo Bills, all part of an unreal game. I think that uh, a lot of people want to call it the game of the year, and the Vikings, they have been called frauds by a lot of people. There have been a lot of question marks about winning close games against bad teams, they, they fell said behind. Kirk Cousins would never take his shirt off and wear a bunch of chains at the same time. <laughs> no, no, I, that's yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It, it seems like he's done doing that, but the Vikings might not be done uh, winning games because they went into Buffalo down 17 points late in the third quarter, pulled out a huge victory. And I personally have questioned Minnesota, and part of it is because like I said, barely beating teams that aren't of the highest competition, you know, a lot of backup quarterbacks, but also just this idea that the Vikings can't win a big game. Their one loss Monday night football against the Eagles, and they just got smoked 24 to seven. It didn't even feel all that close. Just a reminder of, yeah, well, primetime Kirk Cousins still exists. He might be great at (laughs) 1 p.m., but when the lights are shining brightest, his uh, play is doing the exact opposite. So I guess what are your thoughts on Minnesota uh, just based on what we've seen through these first nine games of the season? I mean, again, the, the NFC seems so wide open. Like, I don't know if looking at this team in like uh, what I would consider to be like a more normal year, I don't even know what that means, but it feels like a lot of times it in the NFL, it's the teams with the best quarterbacks and then everybody else. But right now it seems like that's not true, at least in the NFC. And you could have a team like uh, the Vikings, you could say are the best team in the NFC right now. Um, you know, it's, they're up there with the Eagles. And I know that the Eagles did literally beat them, but (laughs) you know, on a Sunday, I could see in a rematch, you know, I, I could maybe take the Vikings in that situation. I mean, Justin Jefferson is freaking 
unbelievable. I think yep. the, the trade for TJ Hawkinson was a good one. He's gotten inv- involved in that offense. Yeah, right, right away, away. He has been very productive for them. Yeah, and they're um and, and you know the defense is good too. So I, I think there's a lot to like about this team. And also I like Kirk Cousins. You know, uh, he's yeah. definitely it's it, he's kind of in that same Jimmy Garoppolo mold where it's like he can he can be good enough without being flashy or he can completely fall flat and lose the game for you. But um I I I don't know. I I feel like they're the best of a like mid-tier kind of nfc as it exists right now (laughs) yeah i I think that's a good way to put it because it it does feel like a weird year and that there's not a lot of teams who look really great like there have been a lot of competitive games this year and that's part of it is i think it's uh the most one score games we've seen in a very long time so while the vikings have certainly played uh, their fair share of those and have a very low point differential considering they're eight and one i think it's the second lowest of all time among any teams that are eight and one in nfl history wow. <laughs> yeah. that's such a football stat <laughs> yeah 73 of them they're number two lowest number one lowest 1976 creators who went on to win the super bowl so you know, okay. it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, they can't pull that off. They can't keep, uh, you know, winning these close games. But uh, the idea is over time, one score games, you'll kind of even out. You should be about a 500 team in a, a game that could go either way, a coin flip, if you will. So uh, I'm definitely curious to see how things go with Minnesota down the stretch. And um, I think it really comes down to, in a lot of ways, what time these games are being played because that icy <laughs> Kirk Cousins, uh, the new nightmare is a nickname that I've heard from him. Yes. Uh, but we we did get to see that little bit of evidence that primetime Kirk Cousins does still exist back in September. And um, I know the Vikings play the Patriots on Thanksgiving night, and I want to say they have one other primetime game. So we'll, we'll get some opportunities to see how they, they look in those big settings. Uh, but you did mention the Eagles, and they did finally lose this week. I don't know that anyone seriously believe they would go undefeated i know you could kind of look at their schedule and say they should be favored in almost all of these games but uh washington just they're really good at ending undefeated seasons uh surprise <laughs> ones at that they did it to the steelers a couple of years ago they did it to the eagles on monday night and uh i would think i've been of the belief that the eagles despite playing maybe not the greatest schedule uh, are still a legit football team, like very much loaded on both sides of the ball. Arguably the most complete team in football doesn't feel like they have a ton of weaknesses. And because of that, uh, I'm not all that alarmed by this one loss to Washington, but it'll be key to see what happens from here, how they bounce back. Because this is the first time that they have lost this season. They haven't faced a ton of adversity. So do they get right back on track or do the losses kind of start to pile up for them? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. It also, like, um, there's a few things here. First, any given Sunday, I don't care how bad your football team is, there's a chance no matter who they're playing. Um, and then also, division games are always different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but all that being said, the, the commanders, d- despite having a backup quarterback and being, like, the most tumultuous football organization in the league right now as far as ownership goes, they're still just they were going to this game just barely below 500 yeah and they're five so and five right now they so. are definitely contenders in the or well they're definitely members of the nfc beast yes. as i've heard <laughs> it called uh this season um but also this game had some 
questionable calls. And I'm not sure how this game turns out uh, if things like go a little bit differently. Now, I'm not saying that they're like necessarily wrong. Uh, one of them was wrong. They missed that face mask yeah, call on Dallas, Dallas Goddard where uh, he, he fumbled. And it's like, you hate to see a, a yeah. face mask anyways. I'm sure that hurts. But also, he fumbled because of it. And it's like, that just seems like blatant, like a huge miss yes. by the refs. He also got injured on the play, injured shoulder, and he's gonna miss some several games. So yeah, so in, yeah, literal. It adds injury to, to, to injury. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um, uh. but yeah. So um, I think if those things go differently, which you could say that about a million different points of a football game. But I guess what I'm saying is, um, I think a lot of people who are suddenly turning around and saying, oh, Eagles frauds uh, would not necessarily, well, would, would have the same opinion whether they won or lost. Like they're, they're w- mm-hmm. looking for something to criticize about this Eagles team. Um, and, you know, if a couple of things go differently, uh, I think this Eagles team could still be undefeated. Um, the other one that was like a questionable call was the Heineke Neal that became rough. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Galaxy brain. Move. Oh, I know. Unbelievably smart move. Because I think the refs actually called that right. Yeah, he right. He gave himself up and there's all and these protections still... around the quarterback. Yeah. You're just supposed to tap him. Mm-hmm. That's all you can do if you touch him at all. But instead, they shoved him over. And he he knew what he was doing. Yeah. That's oh, like that's sure. why I think people are mad. Uh-huh. But he's he was super smart for doing that. It, to me, that's like the reverse Kenny Pickett fake slide, where Pickett was like, "Oh, like oh, he's giving himself up." No, he's still going. This was a uh, oh, he's going. No, he gave himself up, but too late. That's one of those where it's like, man, I don't blame the defenders on that play. But yes, that was a awesome move by Taylor Heineke, and he didn't have the greatest game, but he has very much shown like he has a potential to be a really fun quarterback in this league who uh, when the highs are there, he can maybe make the commanders um, a quality, competent football team. And that's what we saw on Monday night when they went into Philadelphia, pulled out the win. So uh, yeah, I'm curious to see if we get any kind of rule change around what happened with that. But like you said, they're trying to protect the quarterback. So I don't know that they're going to soften their stances on a, a hit like that. I, I feel like anywhere on the field, if you give yourself up and then you get tackled, like they're going to, there's a chance they throw the flag. And uh, I mean, just once again, he's just a galaxy brain. Yeah. Yeah. And especially in a key situation like that, late in the game with the clock winding. It down. won the game. It yep. literally won the mm-hmm. game. <laughs> a game winning Neil. Uh, <laughs> you love, I mean, which well, is actually to be fair. That's how common. most. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that, that was definitely uh, a smart, smart move on his part. So, and then I think really one of the big reasons why the NFC feels the way it does with it being very wide open is that the two teams that probably a lot of people were the highest on, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers have both been very much struggling, but they both got very impressive wins. Bucks beating a really good Seahawks team in Germany. Packers coming back from two score down to beat the Cowboys in overtime in Lambeau. And now all of a sudden it's like, ah, are these teams going to kind of get hot down the stretch and ride into the playoffs uh, looking like the teams that we thought they would be this year? I, don't, I mean, with Christian Watson actually like uh, coming to life, that's an interesting one. Um, although I loved that uh, I saw somebody like say this online, but it was like finally Mike McCarthy helping the Packers win in Lambo. <laughs> yeah, what are your <laughs> thoughts on that uh, fourth and four overtime decision? 
Um, to tell you the truth, I didn't actually watch this game live, so I, I don't okay. I don't have all the context on the uh, the actual. I know that the Packers came back, but um, yeah, I don't I don't have an opinion. Yeah, on it. so that that was probably what it was in reference to. So in overtime, it was tied at twenty eight. Cowboys started with the ball, so they could have kicked like a fifty three yard field goal in Lambeau in the cold. If you miss. Green Bay gets the ball almost at midfield. If you make it, Green Bay still gets a chance to tie or win the game. So they went for it on fourth and four. Green Bay, great blitz, forced stack into an errant throw. And then the Packers just had to, you know, complete a couple passes, go down the field and kick a chip shot field goal for the win. So that's probably the big thing is like he's getting a lot of hate for that. I don't necessarily blame him for the decision because it's far from a guarantee. It was a long field goal and it only does so much. I think it just... It looked really bad with the way that Green Bay just totally destroyed the Cowboys' offensive line and got Dak Prescott and made it a play that just looked really bad. Well, so. the fact that it comes down to a coaching decision at all is just brutal uh, for Mike McCarthy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> because now it is something that you can put directly on him. Uh, uh, but I would have said that even if it didn't come down to that. I do not like Mike McCarthy. I don't think he's a good coach. I was so surprised that Dallas went out and got him, and uh, that's the result you're going to get. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I think that the Cowboys are a team that I'm really high on at this point, just seeing how great their defense is, how well they played with Cooper Rush at quarterback. But at the same time, Mike McCarthy's still there, and he finds ways to lose games that he shouldn't lose. So that seems to be the, the thing that's going to hold back this team. And I think if you're a Cowboys fan, you would much rather lose early in the playoffs and have McCarthy be fired than stick around just long enough that he has to have another year. <laughs> like, you know, I, I think that's a, a realistic way to look at it. Uh, and I don't know if that was something that played into last season. He certainly made some questionable decisions in that um, wild card loss to the 49ers. But yeah, the, the Cowboys are a team that I still think are quality, like competent on paper, but. Uh, the execution has always been an issue with that franchise. And Green Bay, they're four and six now, still have an uphill battle, still have some tough games coming up. Tennessee, Philadelphia, uh, still play the Vikings again, and uh, we'll see how things play out with them. But I'm not, I was ready to give up on them after that loss to the Lions. And now they go out and beat Dallas, and it's like, well, might have been a little too early on that one. Yeah, I agree. There's still life in this Packers team, but we'll see how much more life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've definitely lost a lot of guys to injury on the defensive side of the ball, which has been pretty disappointing this year. So uh, that could certainly play a role uh, as we go down the stretch. And this is more just like a nice little win against a, a former head coach and nothing more than that. And then uh, in terms of the Bucks, I guess, you know, they started off looking okay. Their defense was good enough to win games and they lost a bunch in a row, but they've now pulled out two wins against a Rams team and a Seahawks team that in theory are playoff contenders. Uh, maybe the Seahawks more so than the Rams, which is certainly not expected entering the season, but now it's starting to look like, okay, maybe they can kind of get things going. And in a division like the NFC South, making the playoffs shouldn't be a concern. It's just, uh, can they reach the proverbial ceiling that we thought that they might've had entering the year? Yeah. I, I think it for the Buccaneers, uh, winning this NFC South is, 
inevitable. If they fail to do that, it will be a catastrophic failure. And I think that they're on on track to to do that. They'll they'll win the division. But yeah, I have I don't know. I think it will come down to like how hot they are once the playoffs actually get going because there's plenty of talent on that offense. But is Tom Brady distributing the ball well? Uh, is the offensive line protecting him? Is the run game getting anything done? Are his guys dropping the ball or not? Honestly, that's been a yeah, big part of it. Uh-huh. So I. I guess we're just going to have to wait until later to find out if the Bucks are, are any good this year, because even if they continue to drop games against uh, quote unquote inferior talent, I still feel confident they'll be in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, I, it's felt inevitable for a while, just given how bad that division was. But it does seem like that win over the Rams, like that comeback did kind of spark some life into this team because they played really well against Seattle. The Seahawks offense was inept in this game and that's not something we've seen from geno smith and company a lot this season so definitely um a meaningful win for them and then they have a bye as they come back to the u.s and i guess we'll see where things go down the stretch but it's uh certainly seeming like maybe tampa is not as terrible as uh they looked for a little bit there so yeah and seattle has been such a surprise this year Mm -hmm. which of course, I hate <laughs> yeah, Seattle right. <laughs> so much. It's like, oh, this year they're going to be just guaranteed do- like terrible, and they're winning the division. Uh, the 49ers made easy work of them earlier this yep. year, uh, and, and I think that was before we all kind of realized who the, the Seahawks are this year. Uh, I think the Niners play them like you know one of their last week, games. Yeah, I mean, week 15. It's on Thursday night football, so you know I think that that's going to be – Field is going to be rocking. That's going to be for the uh, for the division, I think. I think yeah, that's going to be the decider. That's definitely my mindset at this point because the Cardinals and Rams played this week with two backup quarterbacks, and both <laughs> of those teams feel like they're done at this point, especially with Cooper Cooper Cup going on IR. It just yeah. doesn't seem like the the Rams have any hope. And Cardinals, every time things seem to go right for them, they just end up taking multiple steps backwards. So yep. Well, if if anything is certain, they should pay Cliff Kingsbury more money and give him <laughs> a longer contract. Uh-huh. That's that's what I think with the with the cards. I mean, the the Niners are going to play them on Monday Night Football, so hopefully that's an easy dub. But like I said earlier, division matchups there always there's always a chance. Yes, and that that one will be played in Mexico, and. We'll be talking about Mexico and other countries around the world. (laughs) But before, I do want to share some thoughts on the Steelers because uh, I haven't gotten many opportunities to talk about them winning football games this season. It's mostly been crushing or just you know, getting crushed uh, losses. (laughs) And um, they, they did beat the Saints this week coming off a bye. And I'm kind of in a weird spot. Uh, as a fan when it comes to this team. And I, I think it's probably similar to where you were with the 2018 49ers. So that team had Jimmy Garoppolo traded for him the year before, 5-0 and down the stretch, feeling like, all right, this could be a good team. Then he tears his ACL week three and everything just falls apart. Ton of injuries. And as the season goes along, it becomes inevitable that the Niners are not going to make the playoffs. And it's all about how high up in the draft they will be. And I remember at the time you would say that I will root for the 49ers every week. I'm not going to root for them to lose over a draft pick. And I think that's what any rational fan should think. Like I can't bring (laughs) myself to root against the Steelers. So for me at this point, what makes it even tougher is not only does the team of T.G. Wattback and reigning defensive player of the year, we saw how awesome the defense was in week one against the Bengals when they had five 
interceptions of Joe Burrow, seven sacks. Uh, but also the schedule looks pretty favorable in a lot of ways. Um, four division games, which we talked about, never take anything for granted, especially when three of those are at home. And uh, while I do think the AFC North is very strong, I don't think any of those other teams are world beaters. Like they certainly all have their flaws. And then the other four. You said you have four. Are any of those the Browns? Yes, Browns in week 18. So Deshaun Watson will be back. Wow, Deshaun Watson will be back and he'll be like, the, the rust will have been yes, fully it shaken is, off. Yeah, so we'll see. That could certainly be an interesting one. Play the Bengals this week on Sunday and then two against the Ravens. And the other four are Panthers and the Falcons. Neither of them look all that great. And then the, the Raiders and the Colts, who we just talked about. And the, those are four teams that maybe they like, okay, well, the Steelers is a game we should be able to win. But they're very much at or below the Steelers level at this point. So it's easy for me to kind of convince myself, like, yeah, I don't know, maybe they can strain together some wins and, uh, you know, salvage this season. But at the same time, it almost feels like the worst case scenario would be good enough to get to eight and nine, but that's not going to get you to the playoffs. And it's not going to get you like a top five or potentially even top 10 draft pick. And I think that's been an issue with the Steelers where they've had one top 10 pick since 2000 when they took Plasco Burris eighth overall. That was when they traded up to get Devin Bush in 2019. They're constantly picking in the, the later end of the first round. Certainly have had some hits there and also maybe missed out on some top talent going just before them. So it's kind of a weird spot I'm in as a fan at this point between wanting to continue to root for this team every Sunday and wanting them to win games, but also facing the reality that, you know, maybe losing isn't all that bad of a thing at this point. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I definitely do, but I stand by my stance from uh, 2018. No, I, I'm Root not going to fight team, you baby. on that. Uh-huh. Sunday afternoons, uh, you've got to be out there yelling for them Steelers. And um, yeah, I think you're right. There's a, there's definitely an opportunity for the Steelers to make up some ground here. And maybe 8-9 and nine is a terrible place to draft, but 8-9 and nine might look a whole lot better when you're not considering a new quarterback mm-hmm. and you feel like you have your guy in Kenny Pickett. Uh, you know, I think he's going to have to do something somewhat impressive to get uh, five more wins. So, uh, you know, either that or you just completely the bottom falls out. It's going to feel terrible while you're hoping for wins, but you have a whole off season to feel excited about a, a good draft pick. So um, I think, uh, yeah, like I said, let's keep keep rooting for him. Yeah, I mean, the one positive to winning games down the stretch would be that the team at least you you buy into them. Okay, like, yeah, it sucks that they got off to a slow start and we're just in too deep of a hole, but at least you can feel good heading into next year. And to me, it's all about progress at this point. Seals had 217 rushing yards. That's the most they've had in years. So that's definitely a great sign. A lot of questions about would Najee Harris be benched for Jalen Warren? He went out and had 99 yards in this game. So uh, definitely his best game of the season. And then Kenny Pickett, didn't throw an interception. Threw the ball away six times. He was smart. <laughs> didn't try to force anything. That's certainly been an issue with him. He had a rushing touchdown. Still just two passing touchdowns to eight interceptions. But to me, that's progress. That's all you can ask for at this point. And if it leads to a ton of wins and you know maybe feeling really good about the season, then great. If it's uh, things look good, but you know just barely came up with a loss, and maybe it's not the worst thing. So um, anyway, with that. Let's move on and talk about the other kind of football in this episode, and that is association football, as 
the 2022 FIFA World Cup finally about to start. And I say finally because it's normally played in June and July, but this year's version will be played in November in the country of Qatar. And I think uh, with that, let's kind of talk about just this World Cup and how it's different from others. And I don't want to spend too much time just talking about the horrible side of things, but kind of needs to be addressed that, hey, there's a, there's an elephant in the room when it comes to this this World Cup and where it's being played. Yeah, it's being played in Qatar. And, and honestly, I guess I, I don't want to be too... Uh, accusatory uh because i don't know there's a lot of uh things being said but the um the way that qatar was awarded this world cup is deeply suspicious and there's a lot of allegations of bribery the um the fifa organization is very corrupt and that's not a secret so having uh you know some under the table dealings go on for this country to be awarded the world cup definitely Seems like it definitely happened, as well as the infrastructure for the World Cup being built under very harsh circumstances with migrant workers being treated horribly, many of them dying. Mm-hmm. Thousands, uh, while, thousands yeah, of people yeah, dying. Yeah, to, to build the infrastructure for this World Cup. Uh, so there's definitely a, a dark cloud over this World Cup from the, uh, you know, the, the things that were that had to happen for this World Cup to be where it is. Yeah, and he, in at the time when it was awarded to Qatar in 2010, speculation was pretty rampant. Has not died down in the the dozen years since then. Of course, plenty of horror stories about uh you know the the migrant workers and just like what was happening to get the uh the facilities and stadiums and everything built there. And Sepp Blatter, he's a name that if you're familiar at all with FIFA and international soccer, like that should ring a bell. Um, he was the head of FIFA when this happened. He recently said, it probably shouldn't have been in Qatar. We should have given it to the U.S. <laughs> so thank you for coming around on it. Just uh, 12 years too late. But yeah, it'll it's, be here uh, in 2026. So it will be. It'll it will be, okay. be in 2026. Definitely excited for that. Uh, but for now, let's kind of get into the 2022 World Cup. And all of the controversy and everything aside, it should still be a fun tournament uh, to to be able to watch, at least from the comfort of your own home. Doesn't sound like it's going to be the best fan experience for most internationals with uh, the rules of that country, hearing stories about who is accepted there, who has to fear for their life, who can enjoy a nice adult beverage where they can do it. But yeah. let's talk about the actual stuff that applies to us as Americans who will just be watching from our couches bars on tv and not actually in those stadiums absolutely yeah you might be wondering world cup where did this come from how come i haven't like heard of this before how can i remember this because it only happens every four years and at least in my lifetime pretty sure it's always during the summer yes Uh, but qatar is very very hot and they want to do that yeah, and they didn't want to do it then, so they pushed it towards later in the year. So that means it's like interrupting a bunch of uh, soccer leagues. They're all yeah. pausing to uh, allow for the World Cup to happen. Uh, but yeah, it happens every four years, and, and the way it works is you have 
32 teams that all qualify in different ways in other competitions, other tournaments, uh, playing, obviously, international play. One team gets automatic qualification for being the host country. So there you have... That's why Qatar is is in there. Uh (laughs) The other 31 teams, you know, they didn't just buy their way into the tournament. They'd have to actually win a lot of games over, you know, several years to get in. Yeah, and it, it is. There's there's like some well known teams that uh, you know you might expect to see in a like tournament of nations uh, that aren't here. Like specifically Italy, who won back in 2006. Like it's it's. They not also won easy. The, the Euro last year in right. 2021, and they are not right. in and the World Cup. So it's not a given, and, and going to the world. I mean, USA missed uh, the tournament back in 2018, so mm-hmm. not even we are guaranteed entry to this tournament. So, uh, yeah, we get our 32 teams, and they're all put into groups of four, uh, and those inside of your group, you'll play every other team once, so three matches. You get three points for a win, one point for a tie, zero points for a loss, and uh, the two teams with the most points at the end of those three matches will advance to the round of 16, where the World Cup turns into a single elimination tournament, uh, that bracket that goes, uh, you know, Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four, and then you have your uh, final, which is, you know, first versus second or the the last two teams and then there's a also a third place match to see uh you know of the two teams that didn't make the finals to uh to to give them something to play for so that's kind of the general breakdown of the of the whole thing uh it's absolute chaos in the group stage because there's so much football going on all Mm -hmm. day long for uh, you know and one of the things i love about soccer one of the few things that soccer has better than football like american gridiron football is that it's not like horrendously dangerous. So you can actually play much more frequently. Uh, so you, you get to watch a lot of soccer going on uh, back to back to back. And I think our plan here is to just kind of jump around from group to group and yep. say a little bit about what we think is important for each group. Yeah. So, you know, just kind of give a little high level preview, if you will, of each group, because that is the opening stage of the tournament kind of sets the stage for where things will go from there. All right, so we'll start with Group A, and uh, we got to start with Qatar. And mm-hmm. uh, when they were awarded the World Cup back in 2010, they were ranked oh, like 100 plus. They were like 120th in the world or something like that. Like definitely not World Cup caliber. But they invested in a really expensive soccer academy called the Aspire Academy, and they pulled in young players from other countries and trained them to play for this World Cup, basically. So huh. they're... Their team is made up of a bunch of kids, not, I, I don't know about if it's exclusively, but a lot of them are from this Aspire Academy and they were pulled in specifically for this World Cup. So even though and they're Qatar, not even Qatari. Well, it, it, to say that it, to say that that's exclusive to them is not true. A lot of uh, uh, countries have players that represent them that are not born there or maybe aren't like citizens or whatever. There's like a bunch of different ways you can qualify for uh, being eligible to play on uh, your respective uh, nation's team. Like your your parents can be from there, and I don't know all the exact rules, but there are definitely other countries that will have players who are f- not quote unquote of that nationality. Um, but yes, this is a, a way they're kind of pushing the envelope uh, with a bunch of young players coming in uh, from other places to, to train, to be uh, Qatari. And uh, I've heard that there are some promising guys out there. So I'm interested to see uh, just how far they're able to go uh, as the host country. 
Yeah, I I guess I kind of took for granted that they would just get blown out in every single match because they're just like you said they were uh, nowhere near the top of the world qualifiers. But if they do have a team that they've invested in and they want to put on a good showing, that certainly improves their chances. And Group A, not an overwhelmingly terrifying group. Uh, I know Netherlands is probably the big name that stands out. They were the finalists in 2010. Uh, Senegal is an interesting one. I think that from what I've heard, they're like the number one African nation participating in this tournament, but their best player, was it Sadio Mane? Is that his name? He's injured. I heard that to try to get him to play, they hired literal witch doctors to try to heal him. Like that's how desperate they are to get him out onto (laughs) the pitch. Yeah. So I think he's going to miss some, if not all of the tournament. Uh, and then Ecuador is the final team in here. Uh, Definitely not one of the biggest superpowers in a, a loaded South America continent. So certainly opens up the possibility that Qatar could maybe go on a little bit of a run. You remember Russia in the 2018 tournament? They were a team that only got in because they qualified as the automatic team from being the host. And they ended up making it all the way to the final eight. So certainly an opportunity for uh, Qatar to you know, prove that they're maybe more deserving of getting in the field than you would think. It will be interesting. I'm especially looking forward to Qatar versus Ecuador because we've got these Aspire Academy youngsters versus Ecuador, which is uh, the second youngest team in the tournament. Oh, uh, interesting. So they're uh, so yeah. I think and that's, that's the first match, match on Sunday the twentieth, right? Maybe yes. <laughs> I, I believe. <laughs> I know it Qatar is. plays <laughs> first. <laughs> yes, I, I want to say that's that's who it is in that first match. So um, right away you'll get to see that one. Yes, and um, but yeah, I think Netherlands are probably the strongest uh, team here. Uh, Louis van Hall is their coach, and they've got a lot of star power. Memphis Depay up top, Virgil van Dijk, like one of the best center backs in the world. Frank de Jong, uh, de Jong in the uh, uh, midfield. There's a lot of star power, a lot of recognizable players for mm. people who watch the big leagues. So um, I think they've on paper i think they look like the best team but we'll have to see the world cup is crazy so you you yeah. always have uh you expect the unexpected yeah it seems like there's always one team that you kind of take for granted is gonna go on a deep run and they don't even make it out of the group stage so right right yeah so i guess let's move on to group b and this is probably the most interesting group for our listeners uh you know the vast majority because it has the united states in it Yes, and also, um, you know, I've heard this one called the group of death uh, because there's like a lot. It's hard to tell who's going to make it out because uh, you've got some quality, mm-hmm. but nobody in here who really sets themselves apart as like the the by far the best. Um, so I guess we should start with the states. You know, uh, this is an interesting time to be a uh, United States soccer fan because there is so much potential in our team. Uh, we have more Americans playing in Europe than ever before in our entire history. Yeah, that's uh, what it Europe seems is, like. So. Europe is where the best players play, and we there are more Americans there now than ever. Uh, and those are the guys who are going to be representing our country for the most part. Um, you know, we've got Tyler Adams, who's enjoying his form at Leeds. We've got Unas Musa, who's a very technical midfielder. Matt Turner in goal, who's considered like. Again, I hear a lot of people considering a lot of different things, but he's considered one <laughs> uh, of the better goalkeepers in the tournament. And um, the the thing that is 
frustrating to hear. Uh, oh, well, I, I'd be remiss not to mention Christian Pulisic, who is kind of the leader of uh, this kind of European movement from yep. the uh, from the Americans. I'm actually rocking but, a Borussia Dortmund jersey on the recording. I know he's on you're Chelsea looking, now. But. You're looking great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, it's uh, like, I don't know the last time I wore this, but I found it in my closet and thought that this is an appropriate time to wear a soccer jersey. <laughs> yes, a, a perfect time. And uh, but, but what's frustrating is the United States coach is not very highly regarded. And in a lot of people's opinion, he's holding the team back. Greg Burhalter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he is, uh, again, I don't know. I'm, it's, it's tough for me to judge soccer coaches. I don't really know uh, tactics that well, but, uh, he, he's apparently not very well liked. And a lot of people think it's, he has potential to hold us back, um, which would be really disappointing because we, I think that soccer could be a lot more popular in the States if we had more success on the world stage. And with a team like this that we have so much hope for, I think that could turn at least maybe not turn it around, but like help to promote soccer to a greater degree in the States. Yeah, especially with the tournament coming to the United States in 2026. I think that we're set up well to kind of ignite some of that passion if things go as relatively as expected. And you know, we can talk about the rest of the group, but I certainly think there's reasons to believe that the U.S. can advance and maybe go on a little bit of a run to, you know, something to get us excited. Absolutely. And, and if, uh, if we're trying to convince our listeners to watch any of these games, you should tune into the USA games. Yes. In fact, see if there's an American Outlaws uh, like bar in your respective town there probably is and you can go there and enjoy the games with other american fans which is like hilarious to say it's like how <laughs> would you not uh, be a, right. a united states fan but they american outlaws take it serious and it's a lot of fun um you know the uh, i think it was the gold cup was happening when i was living in mississippi a few years ago and i spent the summer going to see uh you know soccer games with the american outlaws because we just found a bar that was associated with them and it was awesome so we do have fans already uh but we can have more but let's talk about some of the the teams we're gonna play against um and i guess we'll start with uh england our classic one of our classic rivals on the world stage uh in uh, in a historical uh military conflict i guess <laughs> uh, number one thing their coach is Gareth Southgate, and he's a Crystal Palace legend. So um, I, I definitely am, uh, you know, partial to him as their coach. But again, he's another one of these coaches that's coming into the tournament heavily scrutinized for his tactics. Uh, a lot of people think that his tactics are holding the team back because England, home of the Premier League, have some really great players. Uh, some of the like headliners here: we got Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling. Harry Maguire in the uh, or Harry Maguire in the defense. Who maybe you don't love him. Maybe you think he costs too much, but he's a great defender uh, it, to some degree. So um, you know they've got great players out there, and it'll be interesting to see uh, if they can put it together under the the leadership of Gareth Southgate. Yeah, and it's it's definitely worth noting that they were the runners up in the Euro tournament last summer. Uh, coming down to penalty kicks against Italy. So they came very close to uh, bring, you know, it's coming home, whatever phrase yes. you want to use to that. So uh, they're, they're certainly a team that you, you're you interested in. Uh, and I think as a USA fan, you look at Group B, they're the ones who stand out the most as like, this is our toughest competition in terms of that top spot in the group. I think that's definitely true. Um, then we the uh, another one is Wales. This is a team that is... Uh, I, I feel like they fit a certain like uh, stereotype or maybe just like a prototype of 
a World Cup team that's like heavily reliant on their top player leading uh, them to victory. Gareth Bale, they are uh, is like the leader of Wales, and they're going to be expecting him to create those opportunities for them uh, to to hopefully uh, you know win or, or to help them produce goals. Yeah, and, Gareth Bale yeah. is one of the top players in the entire world, right? Not even just like. Well, it's or at least was he's, at some he, point in yes, time. Yes, he okay. definitely he was the most expensive player at one point, uh, yeah. and he's had an okay. illustrious career. Great football player, Gareth Bale, but he's in the MLS now, and the MLS is a oh, retirement okay. league. Yes, uh, he actually but LAFC he, won the yes, yeah, but they just won with yes. Gareth Bale, right? Yeah. So he's doing as good as he can, and uh, you know he's uh, like he's a world class player still. So I still think there's a lot to be excited about being able to watch him play on the world stage. Wayne Hennessy in the uh, in, in the goal. I who recognize has, that uh, name. Yes, who he's had his time with uh, you know in the Premier League and Crystal uh, Palace, right? Doing great things with Crystal Palace. Yes, yep. and. Uh, and, and a couple other names, Aaron Ramsey, Ben Davies. Uh, this is Wales's first World Cup appearance since 1958. So, really? Uh, yeah. Huh. So we're, okay. we're show, like, we are contenders more often than them. Hopefully yes. we can get the dub over Wales and, and hopefully even over England. Um, and finally, we turn to Iran or Iran, however you want to say it. And I think it has to be said, uh, there's terrible stuff going on in Iran right now. Uh, they have a horrible, oppressive government uh, that is killing their own people uh, who are protesting for women's rights. And I think that's horrendous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the soccer players are not members of the government. And so it's like, don't direct your um, anger at them. But I, I think you can't bring up Iran uh, without mentioning some of the terrible things that are happening in that country right now. Yeah, I know that um, Italy was trying to say that Iran shouldn't be in the tournament because of this. And it was, uh, is this just your way of trying to get into the field after missing out? Uh, But yes, it's certainly a country that has a lot of problems. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, at what point do you say, yeah, you shouldn't be competing on a world stage? Like, you shouldn't be able to get this kind of recognition, whatever money comes from it feels like uh this could be one of those opportunities but it is fifa it is happening yes. in guitar so standards are obviously FIFA. very low and it's also i don't know it's tough when you let po- like when politics interferes with sports because it's like they're kind of separate entities even though you're representing your country but again I- i'm glad i don't have to make that call right i'm yeah, not right. the expert in geopolitics so i'm gonna leave it at that we and just focus the US just on destroys them I, I so. hope I definitely do hope that, and I would hope that anyways, even if yeah. there wasn't anything <laughs> bad going on in Iran. Um, I did some research on Iran. Don't really know that much about them. Uh, apparently, they have a strong defense and they play a counterattacking style. And uh, you know, hopefully, we don't get caught out against them. But one of the teams that we would be hopeful that the United States is able to defeat in Group B. Yeah. The, uh, the so the one thing I would say about Iran is uh, this past weekend I heard the song Iran parentheses so far away a disproportionately high number of times for whatever reason i was in i was in the pittsburgh area for whatever reason the pittsburgh radio station that was uh the rental car was tuned to played that a lot um so uh definitely hearing the name i ran i'm like you know the first one was like all right this is kind of fun and it's like this is the third time we've heard this it's been two days here why is this song playing it's from 1983 but uh that that's something that's still on my mind when i think of this country so that's all I have to say about them. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's barely less than I had to say about them. <laughs> uh, 
So I guess let's move on to Group C. And uh, it's interesting to hear Group B considered the group of death because when I look at Group C, this one stands out a little more to me. And I don't know if that's just because there are countries here that I associate with being really strong football powerhouses that maybe aren't as strong as traditionally. Uh, so I don't know what kind of insight you can say. And I think let's just let's talk about Argentina because they're we have certainly, to start with Argentina. Yeah, they're, yes. they're a team that a lot of people are very high on, partially Absolutely. because of Lionel Messi, but also yes. just everything around him as well. Right. Absolutely. So we have to point out that Argentina, while they have won the World Cup, I think it's twice. They haven't won since 1986, uh, but they did Maradona. win the Copa. Uh, yes, and they did win the Copa America in 2021. Finally, Messi, you know, lifting some silverware for country. Um, and like you said, they are massive favorites coming into this tournament. They haven't won, or sorry, they haven't lost in 36 matches. They just That's won crazy. again today. Um, and oh, uh, who are they playing today? So they played. Friendly. Yeah, yeah. I, I just saw it on Twitter because there are like like Argentina continues their unbeaten run and yeah. uh but yeah the world cup has definitely eluded messi and uh a lot of times it's about messi and his quest to win the world cup for argentina and has not mm-hmm. gone well for them this year feels a lot more like messi is a component of a good team and uh i think that plays a lot better for a team for uh, their chances to win the the actual uh, tournament. They've mm-hmm. got uh, Dybala, Di Maria. They've got Lissandro Martinez, aka the Butcher. So they've got uh, and and way more as well. I'm sure the whole starting lineup is worth naming, but I don't. I'm not familiar with all of them. Uh, but they, I they they have a great team, and they're definitely one of the favorites uh, in the entire tournament. Yeah, so it almost feels like uh, instead of Messi trying to win for Argentina, it's Argentina trying to win for Messi this year. Yeah, so. and that's a great. I I love that narrative, and I I would I can't wait to see what they're able to do. I do hope that they live up to expectations. It would be mm-hmm. great to see. This is probably Messi's last World Cup, and uh, it would be nice to see him go out on a high note. Um, but let's uh, let's move on to Mexico, and uh, Mexico is at a similar level as the U.S., but recently below the u.s they've Mm -hmm. lost their last three matches to the u.s and that's their main rival so a lot of people are not very uh you know stoked on mexico's chances this year uh they have an unpopular coach gerardo tata martino and uh, a lot like i've heard mexico fans are are actually hoping for a quick exit from the tournament because that would be enough to oust tata and uh and move on to you know someone who could probably take them further uh they've got Chucky Lozano, who, you know, Americans might recognize as a player that's usually pretty prominent in the Mexico versus USA games, as well as Edson Alvarez, who is just apparently really, really tall. He's like one of the tallest players in the tournament. So keep an eye out for the guy who's head and shoulders above (laughs) the rest. Uh, Uh, I think he plays defense. Uh, And then, of course, there's Guillermo Ochoa. Uh, the chosen one yes. when it comes to the World Cup. He's definitely made his mark in past World Cups, and people are expecting him to be great again. Uh, so th- those are some of the guys you should look out for uh, in Mexico. Uh, you know, I'm hopeful that Mexico can do something. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a USA fan, but I'm also a Mexico fan. I'm Mexican-American, uh, so I've got two teams in this tournament. But Mexico haven't won a match in the round of 16 in the last seven tournaments, and this doesn't feel like the team that will buck that trend. Uh, I'm I'm not I'm not even confident they'll make it out of the group. 
Yeah, and I think that is kind of where my uh, group of death argument starts to die and that this Mexico team isn't as strong as you would necessarily associate with. Right. Uh, because you in 2018, think. didn't they beat somebody really good? They was beat Germany? Germany? Yeah. Yes. So, and that was like, a, I remember that win and like seeing all the videos of their fans celebrating. It looked awesome. So, sounds like um, probably not likely in this tournament, but... We'll have uh, to see, but yeah, it doesn't seem going into it. Yeah, it does seem unlikely. Um, quickly, we'll touch on Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is like one of the teams that I found the most slander on, in the sense of they're oh, yeah. like, yeah, they're not that good. Like they, you can expect them to be bad. I think they uh, actually are really rated lower than Qatar at this point. Yeah, so, so I want to say they're the lowest rated team in the field. Or ranks, so yeah, whatever. yeah. Uh, you you know we love a we love a Cinderella story, but I don't know how much I don't know how much time we can spend talking about Saudi Arabia <laughs> when we have such low expectations from, but that leaves just one last team in, uh, the group stage. And I, I feel like we have to, we have to play a little bit of music because this is a team I'm really excited about. And that's because uh, of Lil Yachty, because of Lil Yachty <laughs> and also because of Robert Lewandowski, who yes. is in, in form right now for, uh, Barcelona. And uh, and he he's definitely uh, a, one of the players to watch for in this tournament. Uh, he's just a, he's a goal scorer, and uh, similar to that the the way that uh, the Wales team is constructed, or at least the expectation for a team like Wales, you look at Poland in a similar way, where uh, they have the potential to be great if their best player is playing on another level, which he's definitely capable of doing. Lewandowski's not quite as old as Bale. So I think it's a little bit more likely that we'll see him be able to, you know, put the team on his back. Yeah. And I, I, he's, he's definitely a name that I do recognize on this world stage. So uh, another case of seeing a team be like, Oh, I know one of their players, they must be pretty good. So uh, yes. definitely, I know you're, you're high on Poland. So definitely excited to see how things go with them. And um, you know, really, I think the question is, can anyone match Argentina in this group? And I think that'll yes. kind of give us a, a good, barometer of not just where Argentina is, but where these other two, maybe three teams, if you want to give Saudi Arabia a chance, but it doesn't sound like we should. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, Poland's got the walk and they're the team that I heard the most people call dark horse. So, yeah. uh, and we love that word when it comes uh, to tournaments. So, sure. uh, you know, keep an eye out for Poland. All right. But, yeah. So I guess let's move forward now to group D. And Group D is home of the reigning World Cup champions. France won it all in 2018. And it would be going against history if they were to find a way to win it again in 2022. It would be going against history to, for them to even make it out of the groups uh, in, in uh, 2022. The, uh, outside of Italy, who won 2016. Um, 2006. Or 2006. Uh, the, I think that's true. Uh, yeah, the, not, or sorry, the rule is that there's only been one exception uh, that has made it out of the group after winning the whole thing. All the uh, the 2000 and 2010s, the winner does not make it out of the group stage. So if France is even able to make it to the round of 16, it will be uh, bucking the trend. Interesting. Yeah, I guess I didn't really thought about that, but I know Germany and Spain, two superpowers, 
right after winning knocked out in the group stage so yeah that does make sense so which in france is is a superpower in its own right Kylian mbappe uh no longer 19 years old still a phenomenal player uh but i i think i heard paul pogba is not going to be on this team that's right paul pogba and ngolo Kante, their amazing midfield duo will both miss the tournament which is devastating for this french squad there is plenty of talent outside of those two players but uh it is they will be missing their presence in the midfield but mbappe if you don't know who mbappe is if you watch the world cup you will know him Mm -hmm. and uh you'll know him by his speed he is completely unmatched in his ability to just take off and uh, still control the ball. And he's, uh, you know, been scoring goals like crazy in uh, the French league. And uh, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't continue his great form that we've seen him uh, have in the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's easy to think that, you know, with lost players and this curse, that uh, oh, France, they're going to find a way to to disappoint again but if Mbappe will do everything in his power to make sure that they they don't go out early and unceremoniously like some of the other past reigning champs absolutely and Kareem Benzema another goal scorer they have they've got talent so it'll be interesting to see um, what they're able to do Uh, so outside of France we've got Denmark another dark horse another one that I've heard people say uh, dark horse one of the best defenses in the tournament, I've heard. Uh, and also, they've got Christian Eriksen, yep. who you might remember almost died in front of the whole world uh, when he Yeah, we were actually together field. trying to figure out what was going on watching that. Uh, definitely a scary scene. And Denmark rallied behind that, and they went on a deep run in the Euro. So... Uh, and Christian Eriksen is like a pretty good player in his own right. Yes, so. he definitely is. And he's uh, he's made a full recovery. He's fine. He's good to go and is playing in this World Cup. Kasper Schmeichel, one of my favorite names in, a great uh, name. in professional soccer. He's a great kind of uh, uh, a sweeper keeper, kind of uh, goalkeeper. Uh, so look for him to make some big stops for Denmark in this tournament. Uh, we've also got Australia. Um, I've heard they're one of the weakest in the tournament as well. Uh, they like to pack the box on defense and, and play the counter. I don't know what to expect from I feel like Australia. Australia always makes a tournament, but never really does anything when they get there. Yeah, what my brother told me is that they dominate their region, but their region isn't any good. So, okay. uh, And sense. then Tunisia, also in this group, uh, they apparently their strength is their defense, but their chances are slim to make it out of the group. So, so it feels like it would be a colossal disappointment not just a regular disappointment for france to not make it out of the group stage given who else is in their group yep i agree with uh with that based on uh you know what we're expecting from these teams but like i said before expect the unexpected (laughs) or or uh, yeah because even if you're expecting france not to make it it'd be even more unexpected for them to lose (laughs) yeah right Uh, (laughs) yeah so um, and I guess, you know, while on the topic of reigning champs going out in the group stage, Group E has those two teams that we just talked about, Spain and Germany. And uh, this is another one that feels like a pretty loaded group uh, with those two as the the big name headliners. Absolutely. Uh, Germany won just eight years ago. They're historically strong. They've got so many good players. Manuel Neuer in goal, who's, you know, one of the best goalkeepers of all time and, and uh, still uh, playing at a high level. They've, uh, like I said, they've got a, a bunch of great players. Leroy Sané, uh, Muller, Thomas Muller, who's like 
going into this tournament, one of the players who has the most World Cup goals. Uh, so, you know, he's been uh, able to produce in the past. Uh, so they've got a lot of great players, and it's just, will they be able to live up to expectations? Um, I think it's it, we'll have to see which German squad actually shows up here. Um, they're similar to Spain, who are also historically strong, mm-hmm. uh, who also won not that long ago. They won in 2010, but they've uh, kind of underperformed since then. But they have that potential to make a deep run. So both of these teams, I mean, you could see... Uh, both of them, either of them making a, making a run or both of them are either of them just falling flat. One thing that's interesting about Spain is they have a young player named Pedri. He's a 19-year-old midfielder, and he's considered their best player. And he's really? 19 years right. old. Yeah, so at least I heard I heard it. one pundit call him uh, the, their best player, yeah. which I think is interesting. I'm definitely going to keep an eye out for 19-year-old Sounds similar Pedri. to the Mbappe-France situation four right. years ago. So. We'll Could see be if, a star uh, in the making. Yeah, Pedri can have similar performance with Spain. Uh, other two teams, Costa Rica, Japan. Um, I don't know how threatening either of those are to those top two European clubs, but I know Costa Rica's CONCACAF, so they're a team that U.S. had to go up against. Yes, and um, you know Co- Costa Rica, they're constantly qualifying for the World Cup, so this is not something th- they're used to being here. Um, they had a, a decent run back in 2014, and their goalkeeper, Kaylor, uh, uh, Kaylor Navas, is very good. So uh, you know it's one of those important positions, and it's good to have quality in goal. So a lot of a lot of times, uh, you know, if you can make it out of the group stage, you can make it to PKs. It could be something to uh, that that is able to make a bad team beat a better team uh, mm-hmm. is uh, being able to survive PK. So that's interesting. Japan. Uh, I have not heard good things about Japan going into this tournament. Uh, they're the, like their biggest weakness is they don't have any striking options. Uh, so creating goals is going to be an issue for them. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they make any noise at all in this tournament. All right. Uh, <laughs> doesn't sound too promising for Japan, but uh, you know, Group E, it's two two notable teams that have fallen flat in recent appearances. So we'll see if uh, Japan could be that next surprise there. And Group F, I think this is another interesting group. And uh, one of the teams that stands out, Croatia, who lost in 2018 to France in the final. So that was a bit of a surprise run. Uh, player's name is escaping me, but he was like the star of the tournament. Luka Modric. Yes, Luka Modric. Yes. Is he still a guy uh, that's still prominent on this roster? Okay. Yes, he is, and he's still great. They're expecting a lot out of Luka in this tournament. Uh, But, yeah, if they can continue that same magic from – if they can catch fire again, um, I think – we can have high expectations for Croatia. Um, I've heard my brother even said he thinks they're going to finish first in this group. Interesting, uh, because they also have Belgium in this group. And uh, this is a, a squad that I know is pretty high in the world rankings. Romelu Lukaku, Kevin De Bruyne, two names that I very much know. So that tells me again that this is a, a country to watch out for in this tournament. Absolutely. So this is the what's considered Belgium's golden generation. Some of the best players that have ever come out of Belgium, like at the same time, and they have won nothing. So uh, this they're getting towards the end of all these players' primes, and they have nothing to show for it. So they're hoping that this World Cup can be their last best chance at making some noise and, and potentially bringing home some uh, silverware for their country. Uh, you know, you got to yeah. You said his name already, Kevin De Bruyne. 
the best player on this team and possibly the best passer in the entire world. This guy knows how to serve it up so that you don't have to do anything. You just tap it in for the goal. He's going to give it to you, you an opportunity, and uh, you know it, it could he could play a key part in unlocking the offense for this Belgium squad, which is going to be a little bit more difficult with Romelu Lukaku on the mend uh, and uh, potentially going to miss some time. I don't know how much time, but uh, he's definitely injured right now, and there's a chance that that could be pretty bad for this Belgium squad. But they do have Mishi Bashuai, who is uh, another uh, striker for them. Did a loan at Crystal Palace, and he was a pretty good goal scorer there. So I've seen him play a good bit, and I'd be, I would love to see. Uh, they called him the Batsman because uh, his last name is Batswai. Uh, yeah. The Batsman uh, could be out there uh, making some plays. Thibaut Courtois in the goal is one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Big, lanky, tall guy. Uh, and you're definitely going to uh, see him make some plays in this World Cup. Eden Hazard, at one point, considered top, one of the top players in the world. Um, I don't know if he's there at this point, but he's still very, very quality. So Belgium definitely has a lot of expectations, a lot of potential. Uh, but like I said, historically, they haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. So... We'll see if this can uh, finally be their tournament to buck those odds. And I guess just a, a comment on Lukaku's injury. It feels like there are a lot of top players injured, going to miss some, if not all, of the tournament. We've gone through many. One of the predictable consequences of having a World Cup in November instead of off-season in June or yep. July. So. Absolutely. Uh, another team in this group, Canada, who I believe finished first in the CONCACAF qualification yes. above the U.S. and Mexico. Felt like they, uh, th- that's like the the best that they've ever been. Is that something that we can kind of see them continue to do on this world stage, or was that just a product of uh, the Concacaf? I mean, if we have high hopes for the U.S., then like logically, we have to have even higher hopes for Canada. They're the best out of the North American region, and um, they've got. Well, honestly, I-, I don't really know any other players. I heard some names like Alfonso Davies and. Uh, uh, D- Jonathan David, but uh, you know these are the first time I'm hearing about these guys. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what kind of quality they're actually able to put out there on the pitch. This is Canada's only other World Cup appearance besides 1986. So uh, definitely uncommon to have them represented here. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited to to see what happens with Canada uh, because you know, like you said, they're a team that not used to seeing on this stage but they were awesome in the qualifying round so um you know kind of be a good test to to see you know really where how the u.s stacks up given that canada was better than them in that stage uh finally morocco in this group anything but i don't have much to say about morocco yeah Uh, i've heard there's a few decent players on their team uh they uh were also in the tournament in 2018 but um, you know, the expectations are not high for them. Gotcha. So group G, let's move on. You talk about high expectations. I think Brazil, number one team in the world, they enter as the favorites in this tournament. And for good reason, it seems like. Yeah. I mean, uh, you have to have high expectations for a team where most of the players have just one name, Fred, <laughs> Casimiro, Anthony, Neymar. It's uh, it's a great looking lineup uh, coming out of Brazil. Brazil historically are dominate uh dominant on the world stage. Five-time winners. Last time they won was in 2002 
and uh, they've it's got a bit of a some stretch of, where they haven't won at this. Point. Absolutely, um, but they've still got quality. Di- the, mm-hmm. One of the deepest attacking depth in the tournament. Uh, one of the big names up there, Gabriel Jesus, absolutely just flies around the pitch. He's super quick, but the 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 star man on a uh, star studded roster is Neymar. 15 goals and 11 assists in 22 games in the French league this season. And then in 2022 alone, playing for his country, 12 goals and 10 assists in 14 games. He is on another level right now, and it's just in time for the World Cup. So led by Neymar, the expectations should be sky high. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And he's he's a player who I feel like I haven't heard his name a ton in recent years compared to in the past. I don't know if it's because he wasn't playing for Barcelona with Messi anymore. Um, are they both on PSG now, like reunited together, or has he moved on from there? No, they're, yeah, they're PSG. Okay, yeah. And I, I think that that's just a league one in france doesn't get the same kind of love that la liga in spain gets but yes he's certainly playing great soccer right now he's someone who uh is very much capable of leading this brazil country to the promised land and you know we remember in 2014 that embarrassing output against germany i believe as a host country right they lost seven to one at home yes oh my unforgettable shellacking yeah and uh they you know they, they certainly want to have a you know a better showing at the end than that, which it seems reasonable to think that they can go on a deep run. Like you said, though, anything can happen. Any legit challengers in this group to Brazil, or you know who's who? Is kind of your thought is uh, most likely second place team at the very least. It's a tough uh, call because I'm I'm not super familiar with these other teams, but if I had to pick one, I would go with Switzerland. Uh, they haven't been in the world cup in like a really long time but they do have a couple of recognizable names they have granite Xhaka, who is uh playing pretty well right now in uh in the premier league and then also uh i don't know how to say his first name but shakiri uh another sweet okay. uh uh <laughs> player out of switzerland who is currently in the mls but he is uh another guy who has made his name on in the big leagues and um, so I recognize those two guys they actually look really similar to each other. And uh, oh, yeah. they're going to be out there playing for Switzerland. But to tell you the truth, I don't, I'm not super familiar with them or Serbia. Uh, one fun fact about Serbia, they've never made it out of the group stage in the World Cup. Really? Okay. Uh, but they do have Alexander Mitrovic playing striker, and he's in good form right now. So people are expecting good things out of him. And then uh, finally, Cameroon. Um, so uh, something that I, I didn't mention earlier, but there's never been a African uh, team or a team from an African country. That, uh, they've never reached the semifinals in the World Cup. So that's kind okay. of the glass ceiling right now for African teams. And um, I, I don't know if Cameroon is the team to, to, to shatter that ceiling. Uh, I've heard they're unlikely to escape the group. So that's about all I know. Gotcha. Say this group would be a little more exciting um, at least those two teams if this was basketball instead of soccer because we get Nikola Jokic <laughs> against uh, Joel Embiid but you know that's a different sport so <laughs> let's well, there, get back. there's another sport that we hope uh, can get some more international I mean it's like the uh-huh. opposite Soccer's already so crazy international but basketball it's on its way for sure oh yeah I mean it's at, at the point where the best players in the NBA many of them if not all of them at the very top are international so yep 
Um, yeah, Steph definitely growing on the international scene, and uh, you know we'll see if it ever catches soccer. It feels like a lot given the, <laughs> the long-standing soccer is the world's most dominant uh, popular sport, but uh, basketball certainly making a case for number two these days. Certainly more so. international than American football. I'll yes, tell you that. <laughs> that yes, that is true. Uh, and then finally, we have Group H and. Uh, some very interesting countries in here. I think the one that stands out the most is Portugal, given they have Cristiano Ronaldo, who has been in the news a lot recently. And I mean, literally, he's been on <laughs> Piers Morgan's show just talking about how much he hates Manchester United, hates Eric uh, Ten Hag. And is this going to be a, like a thing that propels him to a big run or just a huge distraction that <laughs> knocks Portugal out earlier than expected? Ronaldo is old and he's not that good anymore. Uh, and, and, you know, who am I to criticize the goat, you know, but he's in a similar fashion to kind of like Tom Brady, where you're like, yes, he's great. He's been great, but father time is undefeated and mm-hmm. everybody eventually falls off. Um, he's barely playing for his club right now. He's not scoring much for his country. It would be definitely a surprise if he suddenly turned it around at the World Cup. But what better place to turn it around if he's going to do that at all? Uh, yeah, but he's, all- he's definitely had a promising uh, career on the international stage. I, I do love Messi, but when it comes to international, uh, he doesn't compare it to Ronaldo and what he's accomplished. So Yes. Uh, but the uh, the other thing is that their uh, their coach uh, is uh, I don't have his name written here, but he's apparently not very popular. Similar to some of these other coaches we've talked about, mm-hmm. I feel like yeah, I've only mentioned like... coaches people don't like. Yeah, um, uh-huh. their coach apparently has very old fashioned tactics and gotcha. uh, is is going. And a lot of people uh, are not stoked on yeah. uh, on his on him being the coach for Portugal in this World Cup. Okay. Um... So I guess outside of Portugal, Uruguay, another country that stands out here. Uh, Eugenio Suarez, very famous member of that team. Is he still like relevant with them? Uh, So um, yes, he'll still be, him and Cavani will be the striking partnership most likely uh, for this team. Both very talented finishers uh, and, you know, still a threat on, on the world stage. What I'm looking forward to most is seeing what kind of, Tom Foolery Suarez gets into. Suarez yeah. has, uh, you know, he's noted for having bitten multiple players and uh, also having a very famous handball in the World Cup uh, mm-hmm. that ended up actually working out for Uruguay and they ended up winning uh, because the PK that was taken from the hand card or red card handball that Suarez uh, saved a goal with, uh, they missed it. So uh, it ended up paying off for him. But uh, one name to look out for is uh, Federico Valverde uh, playing in the midfield for Uruguay. Uh, I've heard him called arguably Real Madrid's best player this season. And uh, if you, even if you're just a uh, passerby in the world of soccer, you know Real Madrid is very good. They spend a lot of money on their players. So uh, Valverde could be one to watch in this tournament. Gotcha. Yeah, I think uh, when I think of Uruguay, I, I definitely think of their, their soccer team at this point, but I also think of uh, Montevideo, which is the capital, and that was uh, <laughs> one of the trivia questions on the episode of Drake and Josh, where Drake joins like the trivia team to impress you know, one of his many girlfriends on the show. <laughs> so 
I'm sure that is like a big like reason for Uruguayan tourism is people have seen yeah. that episode and decide <laughs> to, to go visit. Uh-huh. Um, also in this group is Ghana, who the last two times the U.S. has been in the tournament, they've played them. 2010, Ghana knocked the U.S. out in, I believe, extra time in the round of 16. And then in 2014, they played U.S.'s first game. Clint Dempsey scores 30 seconds in. Yes. Ends up putting two to one. So very notable because of their matchups with the U.S. But that was also (laughs) 2010 and 2014. I don't know what the 2022 version of this uh, squad looks like. Yeah, I, I don't know much about them either. Uh, one of the better African teams historically, Ghana is well-respected on the world stage, uh, but they're uh, they considered tough odds in this tournament. I, I don't have much more to say on the subject than that. Uh, and then finally, we get to Korea, uh, another one of these teams where we're looking for their best player to shoulder most of the burden. Uh, Sun Hong Min, uh, he is uh, Tottenham's one of Tottenham's top players. Uh, and uh, he is healthy enough to play. He was injured for a little okay, bit, that's good. but they are saying he's going to play, and um, he is going to need to be on another level if they're going to uh, make it far in this tournament. Uh, but he he's definitely a player who's capable of being world-class. Yeah, Son, one of many X-Factors, you know, elite player playing for a not-so-elite country, and we'll see. I feel like one of those guys we've talked about a few of them is going to find their, their way into the knockout round at least. And, uh, certainly has an opportunity to put on a show on the world stage, but like I said, he plays for Tottenham. I think he's already been doing that in the premier league. So, uh, you know, I don't know if there's much more that he needs to accomplish in the international stage at this point. Yeah. I'm with you on that. And, um, you know another name just to just so the because this team isn't entirely one dimensional. Also, uh, Kim Min Jai is one of their uh, defensive players, and uh, he's considered one of the best defenders in Serie A right now. And okay. uh, he's one to watch uh, for on this Korean team. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. So that uh, covers all thirty-two teams, some more than others, but. Definitely has me excited for the group stage. Feel like I, I learned a lot of names. We'll see how many of those I remember. But I'm very excited for this World Cup. Uh, I will say that in terms of international sports, the World Cup, even though I'm not a huge soccer fan, is very much my favorite of all those events. You know, More so than the Olympics, more so than some of the world competitions and sports that I care about more. I uh, just get excited for it. And having the U.S. in it certainly helps. So Me I guess too. real I I yeah. love it. It's uh as far as sporting events that only happen every 4 years, I think it's easily the best. Yes. So I'm uh, <laughs> and and you're right, having the United States actually be in the tournament is uh essential. It, 2018 was fun, but it sucks uh-huh. not having the US. I'm happy they're here this time. Yeah, and I I guess before we wrap it up, if we had to give prediction for who wins the whole thing, who would you go with? I'm going with Brazil. I think Neymar is playing out of his mind right now, and that team has so much depth. Uh, I think that if they can just play to their potential, Brazil takes this one home. Yeah, so it's tough to pick against Brazil, but I'm going to pick not just someone else, but their biggest rival, Argentina. I think that this is the year Messi finally gets to lift up that World Cup trophy uh, among a really solid team. And uh, if the U.S. can't win, I think that they're the team that I'll find myself rooting for in the end. 
So. Absolutely. I'm definitely going to be starting off rooting for uh, USA and Mexico. Yes. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid to, you know, after if they get eliminated to root for yeah, somebody else. Uh, but, you know, if my favorite dark horse is uh, has got to be <laughs> Poland. <Yeah>. Poland. <laughs> that's uh, that's my dark horse choice. I've, I made a bracket on my live stream and I had them going pretty yeah. dang far in the tournament. And uh-huh. um, I stand by that. I think Lewandowski is going to impress a lot of people. So uh, watch so, out for question. Poland. Is that just a random song they chose? Or like, what does that have to do with uh, their team? Anything? No, it doesn't have anything to do with their team. Lil Yachty okay. just made that song. <laughs> yeah. Do they actually use it? Like, is it a, a song? That, so. No? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I don't know if that was like they like walkout song or something. I hope it is. Uh, they better make it that. But is I, it I called no Poland or? Ev- yes, it is. Okay, okay. So there's at least <laughs> a relation to the country of Poland. Uh, so all right. Um, I guess that'll do it from the sports World Cup perspective. But we're not going to totally abandon the World Cup. Let's wrap things up with the top five and. The last time we had you on uh, for that AFC West, NFC West preview, you had just come back from a nice little European tour. We talked about a lot of countries that you just went to, a lot of the cool things you did there. And for this one, we're going to do kind of the opposite, and we're going to count down World Cup qualifying countries that we haven't been to but would love to visit in this week's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. So... Before we get started, I will say that I instinctively put Italy number one because <laughs> just like that, they'd be the country I'd want to visit. And I was like, oh, wait a second. They didn't even make the World Cup. So yep. <laughs> got kind of burnt by um, my my own topic here. But there's still plenty of countries uh, worth talking about, most that I haven't been to. And I know, you know it's still true for you. So I thought it'd be kind of interesting to kind of talk about some others and um, you know give some nice reasons why we'd want to go there. So why don't you get started with your number five? Yeah, I will say that the, making it only World Cup countries definitely uh, puts an interesting twist on this because a lot mm. of countries here that I've never even considered wanting to visit. Yeah, right. Uh, but uh, I, I think I'll start with my number five being Morocco. And uh, number one reason is I've never been to Africa, so I would it would be cool to just go to Africa at all. Uh, but the thing about Morocco is one of my friends who's an immigrant uh, to the United States, uh, shout out Mehdi. Uh, he's actually from Morocco, and he is one of my favorite people on the planet. And uh, and I think a lot of that comes from just his like culture, and, uh, and and he has a lot of family back there. And he told me that if I ever was in Morocco to go visit and yeah. uh, and meet all of the the rest of his uh, his family there, so I would love to go visit specifically his family and uh, and get to know uh, a little bit more about Morocco. That's awesome. I, uh, I don't, have you seen the film Casablanca? I have not. Okay. I know that that's just about the only thing I really know about Morocco, but, uh, yeah, I would say that's probably high on the list of African countries, uh, in terms of like tourism. Uh, it's also very close to like, it's in that, um, sea of Gibraltar close to like Spain and Portugal and others. So I think that it, that just naturally leads to a lot of people going there. Yep. Yep. Um, so I agree with you uh, in the sense of limiting this list. I thought it was just kind of a <laughs> way to, I, I thought it made sense to kind of limit it, especially within the context of the World Cup. But it also got me doing a little research to try to uh, choose between some of these other countries. And my number five is Croatia. And 
I, for me, this was just a case of it's on the Mediterranean and I love the idea of going to the Mediterranean. I couldn't pick Italy, which is a very prominent Mediterranean country. So I'll go with a different one. And uh, Croatia is one that certainly stands out. Just did a little research into them and uh, a lot of beautiful landscapes. And it is actually one of the locations where Game of Thrones was filmed. And oh. while I'm not necessarily like a, a huge fan of the show, didn't really give it the, the time of day, you know, one of the few out there, it feels like, I think, um, you know, I know enough about that show and I've seen enough scenes to be like, oh, that's a pretty place that they're filming all these <laughs> horrible, like gory scenes. So uh, I think it'd be cool to go to Croatia. And uh, I thought that they were a good choice to get this started at number five. Nice. Um, yeah, I'll keep it going with my number four, Portugal. And uh, this is mainly because uh, my buddy and my my friends who are also twins, shout out Evan and Wesley, uh, they b- took a trip to Portugal together and took some amazing photos of some beautiful seaside scenery. Uh, and I think that would be a cool place to go chill out, have some wine, uh, wear like a really flowy outfit and stand in the breeze by the sea and just think about life. So uh, I think uh, Portugal would be a pretty cool place to chill out and uh you know enjoy some some nice scenery in a, in a friendly country so that's yeah. why portugal is my number four for sure uh definitely one that i considered on this list uh, not passionate enough to to get them in my top five they'd probably make my top 10 though so good choice uh my number four i was actually between uh two countries in terms of who i thought would win the world cup and who i would put at number four <laughs> i went with argentina to win the world cup but i decided to go with brazil as the south american country that i would want to visit most and uh we really came down to i read an article brazil or argentina and the article made very strong points that they're both great both have a lot to offer but that brazil is better for beaches and nightlife and i said Sounds good to me. Argentina (laughs) maybe has some prettier landscape. It has more to do because it does go all the way to the southern tip of South America. I think the southernmost location in the world outside of Argentina or outside of Antarctica is in Argentina. But that doesn't really appeal to me. If I'm going to go there, I'd want to go to the beaches. I'd want to go to, you know, explore the nice uh, clubs and nightlife. Copacabana, one of the most famous beaches in the world, is in Brazil. And I just love to go to Rio. Like, it just feels like a fun city. It's like the party festival city. So um, I don't know if I ever will, but if I had to pick between the two, I'm going to lean Brazil. Maybe end up making a trip to Argentina while I'm there. But um, that that was that article convinced me to, to put Brazil here on my list, number four. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, they speak uh, Portuguese down there. How do you yeah. think you'd fare with that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, it, <laughs> I wouldn't fare well in Portugal either. So, <laughs> um, All right. Well, we'll move on to my number three, which is Canada. Uh, and, you know, it, it almost seems like a shame I haven't visited Canada yet. I've been to Mexico twice and I've been to a few different places in Europe. Canada is just sitting there waiting for me to visit. Uh, you know, it, I, I got pretty close when I was working in Michigan for a month. I was in Detroit, which is right on the border yep, with Canada, Windsor, Ontario. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I could have maybe even gone up to Toronto and, and seen Drake. I would love to visit the uh, the Six, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, you know, because I've listened to a lot of music about it at the very least. Uh, but, you know, I've heard there's great uh, uh, nature up there. It's very scenic. And uh, the summers, I've heard, are, are, are nice, you know, not too hot, but also not 
you know, there's still summer. Mm -hmm. So it could be a good place to enjoy some nature and uh, meet some people who are just incredibly polite. Uh, So I would love uh, to visit Canada, which is why it's number three on my list. Yeah, I definitely take for granted that not every American has made a trip to Canada at some point in their lives, (laughs) Uh, especially you. I mean, you spent most of your life in the southern United States. I live on a state that borders Canada, so at least grew up in a state that borders Canada. So it was much more reasonable for me to make trips there. Uh, I've been to Toronto and Niagara Falls. We went when I was in fifth grade. A lot of fun. You know, I was young, so... I could really only experience so much, but I went to a couple Blue Jays, Red Sox games, and then got to stay in a hotel next to Niagara Falls, one on the Maid of the Myths. So I got that experience. But my favorite time in Canada was as a junior in college. I was 20, but I was of the legal drinking age there. My brother was 18, which he was a legal drinking age in Montreal. And that was our first experience kind of like going out to bars legally. And I, I had so much fun. We did a little family vacation. I actually had a friend... Uh, who was in Montreal because it was right after Christmas and he has family up there. So him and his cousins who were locals were able to kind of show us around some cool places, got to eat lots of poutine, drink some Labatt, uh, which wouldn't put it above Budweiser or other American beers <laughs> I'm used to, but, you know, when in Rome, right? Uh, and yeah, I, I haven't been back since. I definitely want to go to Canada. So if you are interested in actually making this a reality, uh, I would very much be down to, to join that trip with you. Noted. So, Noted. Yeah. And uh, my number three is also a country that I haven't been to, but you have, and that's France. And I believe you just went there for the first time in 2017 that's, that's right. right okay no i okay i do remember this conversation i was like wait wait a sec yes we talked about it and you said that france was a tough country to get around a, a uh, tougher if you can't country speak than mo- like some yeah. other ones but um mm-hmm. you know i i do want to uh still encourage people france is a great place to go even if you're monolinguistic uh you know you can you'll now na- you'll figure it out you know uh yep. there's definitely some people you might get a couple side eyes you might get some people being a little bit rude to you but we're Americans. We can take it. And uh, it, it is definitely a really cool place to visit. Yeah. And I almost left it off my list because of that. Uh, but I put this on here for a couple of reasons. One, Paris. I mean, it's just a beautiful city and uh, there's a lot going on there. And I know I talked about... Um, and my top five Pixar movies, I watched Ratatouille for the first time. It was like, I want to go to Paris and eat French food, something I never thought I would <laughs> believe. Uh, but I also just love the idea of going to the south of France. I mean, some of my Croatia one just seems like a great place to go vacation, just hang out on the, the gorgeous beaches in the Mediterranean. And, you know, I just kind of a spoiler alert. That's the reason why it was above England for me is while England, I can maybe get around easier, speak the same language. They have their pubs and stuff. Uh, when I think of places that I want to go, I like the whole tropical beachy type vibe. And, you know, I'm sure England maybe has a some options for that. But I know weather wise, it's not necessarily the uh, the best part of the world to go to. So that's why I left that one off my list. And I know you've been there. So that's why it's also not on yours. So. Right. Um, otherwise, I would probably put it on there again because I, I it was great and I wouldn't. <laughs> I know mind you liked back. it there. I feel like if I go, I'd be like, all right, this is cool, especially if I go to <laughs> London. But uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it was one that just kind of narrowly missed the cut. So. Um, all right. Well, then I'll move on to my number two, which is also your number two, yes. and we both picked Germany. 
Um, and I, I think German culture is just something that's so pervasive that I would love to go to the place where it's actually from. Uh, you know, I, I love beer. Uh, mm-hmm. I love bratwurst, yep. and um, I'm definitely into pretzels as well. So uh, yeah, there's a the, lot. The big that three things <laughs> things to do which, in Germany. Which I feel like saying that is like uh, the Amer- like I would love to go to the United States. You know, I love hamburgers, I love hot dogs, <laughs> and I love popcorn. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, but no, I, I've it would be I've heard a lot of great things. I know people who have lived in Germany for extended periods of time. Um, the it just seems like a, a great place to just see how they're living there and kind of compare mm-hmm. that to um, what I'm used to. And they have one of the world's like most prolific soccer leagues. Um, and it would be awesome to go to some Bundesliga uh, soccer games in Germany. Like a, where my, my Dortmund jersey. Yes. Game. <laughs> Represent. Yeah, um, putting Germany at number two is kind of a, like a sad answer for me because I was supposed to go to Germany in September 2020 for Oktoberfest. But of course, that was canceled because of the COVID pandemic. And don't know when... Uh, or even if that will happen at this point in terms of rescheduling that trip, but uh, always going to be a place that I, I want to go. Always going to talk about that. And Oktoberfest specifically sounds like an awesome time. You know, that's where you kind of combine the best of all those things you talked about, just a two week long beer festival. And I, I hope that someday I'm able to make it work. You know, we'll see. I, I think it's one of those things that I just need to take the time to really like plan this trip and say, okay, I'm going to dedicate two weeks of vacation this year to go to Germany, go to this festival and uh, we'll just roll with it. But yeah, let me know when you do that, dude. Maybe we can tie it into my Canada trip. We can go back. <laughs> yeah. <there>. Right. <laughs> Cause yeah, I do, I, I do really want to go to Germany. I do. Uh, th- I, I expect it to be a place that I will eventually go. to. Yeah. I, I think at this point, list. I have to go at some point. It's just a matter of when right now. And, uh, yeah. you know, I think like the, the pandemic, it ruined travel to Germany and like other parts of Europe, but also just ruined travel in general. And I think there's a lot of trying to make up for that in more local places and being like, okay, when is it the right time to leave the country? So, uh, for me, that's another kind of stumbling block, but definitely need to make that happen at some point, uh, ideally within the next few years. So, okay. All right, and that gets us to the number one spot on the list. And you got to know what I'm going to pick at number one. Just kidding. I, it's not Poland. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> I'm going with the in my number one spot. I'm going with Spain. Um, Spain as uh, a lot. First of all, you got to mention their, their soccer league is also very prolific. Yep. It'll be awesome to go see Real Madrid play or Barcelona or both of them at the same time, although I imagine that's probably difficult to acquire tickets for. But um, it's also a Spanish-speaking country, and um, I am not fluent, but as my mom says, uh, I know enough to be dangerous, and I think it would be a country <laughs> where I could actually spend expen- like extended time uh, with some ease and, and really get immersed in the, in the culture there. Um, I love that term, yeah. dangerous with the language. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, those uh, Duolingo lessons, they, they've done their job. That's right. And watch uh, out, Barcelona. Barcelona. And uh, yeah, it, and you know, it, it, I've heard Madrid, it's a beautiful country, yeah. a great place uh, to visit. And um, I would love to go out there and kind of put my Spanish to the test. Yeah. No, I, I think that's that's a great number one choice for you. This is another one that just kind of barely missed my list. Part of it was like I kind of assumed it would be on yours. So I wanted to talk about a different country. But um, I think for me, it's 
partially the the food aspect and my very limited knowledge of Spain. I just think of paella and I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But when I think <laughs> of Spanish food, I just or like what I would consider Spanish food, I lean more toward Mexican food, which I love yes. one of my favorite food cultures. And I feel like I'd be disappointed when there's not a taco stand on every corner. <laughs> so uh, that was that was part of my reasoning for leaving Spain off my list. Um, my number one, though, is also a Spanish speaking country. And I'm actually really glad that I chose this um, as the you know qualifier has to be a World Cup country because I would never have considered putting this on my list. But I am very much sold on the idea of going there now, and that is Costa Rica. And my travel experiences outside the United States are limited to North America. I've been to Canada. I've been to Mexico. And I've been to some islands in the Caribbean. I guess you can maybe say I've technically been to Europe because I think I might have been to some countries that are under like English or French rule. (laughs) Uh, Probably a lot of more so U.S. Virgin Islands just on cruises. But Costa Rica in Central America, further down, it's almost in South America, still kind of in the Caribbean. And uh, I did a little research into Costa Rica because that was a country that jumped out just kind of for those reasons I mentioned. It's in a part of the world that is somewhat familiar to me. I love the Caribbean. So let's look into this. And uh, I found an article titled Eight Reasons to Visit Costa Rica. And this article came on the website specialplacesofcostarica.com so definitely no bias trying to (laughs) sell me on Costa Rica by any means but uh, they listed eight reasons and I'll kind of go through them because they all did more and more to convince me number one spectacular biodiversity and natural beauty Uh, it has an astonishing five percent of the world's biodiversity despite having just 0.03 percent of the world's landmass Lots of cool animals there. Sloths, monkeys, sea turtles, toucans, my favorite animal. Wow. And uh, yeah, just like beautiful scenery, lots of um, green trees, forests, volcanoes. Like it, it just seems like a really flush place, uh, you know, with lots of, um, you know, animals and like biodiversity. Just so go general. on like a little safari. Plants, animals. Yeah, right. Something like that. Which kind of leads to number two. It's a global capital of adventure tourism. Recreational zip lining was actually invented in Costa Rica. Uh, I've been zip lining once. It was in Cancun in uh, 2011. I was 15 years old, and I didn't necessarily love it. I was I'm very much afraid of heights. I think I was a little too uh, tense for something like that. But I do like the idea of maybe trying it again. And in the place where it's invented, Costa Rica seems like a good spot for that. Outside of zip lining, things like kayaking, snorkeling, hiking, you can really enjoy both the, the water and the land here. Lots of activities and tours, uh, horseback riding, all-terrain vehicle tours, cycling. You know, There's a lot of different ways to get around and really enjoy some of that biodiversity and scenery. Number three, breathtaking national parks in a wide range of environments. Actually, a quarter of the country is set aside for natural preservation in the form of national parks and private reserves. This section also has a very cute-looking sloth uh, smiling at you, so really reels you in to be like, oh, I want to go see a sloth in these parks. So, (laughs) uh, like I said, they have volcanoes, very famous for them, so looks like just, just another thing. A lot of cool places to go, a lot of cool ways to get around. 
And not only is the outdoorsy wildlife an attraction, but also world-class lodging, dining, and pampering. A lot of five-star resorts, gorgeous vacation rentals, and apparently there's a, a lot of options that are very affordable. So really anyone can uh, spend time uh, there enjoyably, you know, uh, regardless of your budget. And I guess they have a lot of good foods, a lot of exotic tropical fruits. So certainly love the idea of uh, not just exploring the main uh, outdoors part of Costa Rica, but also taking in just a, a beautiful villa uh, or whatever type of place I would say if I went there. So number five, welcome to the happiest country in the world. Uh, Costa Rica actually ranks at or near the top of most indexes when it comes to the happiest countries in the world. Their national slogan is Pura Vida, which translates to pure life and uh, happy-go-lucky attitude. Apparently, they abolished their army in 1949, diverted their military budget uh, into healthcare and education, their adult literacy rate, 98%. One of the best healthcare systems in Latin America. So seems like a great place to go. They're yeah, what actually, a novel idea. Yeah, right? I mean, it, yeah, it seems like uh, they, they made the right choice. It's crazy to hear, 1949. Uh, long time ago they did that. And what has that led to? Well, one of the world's largest or ex- long longest living longevity rates whatever term you want to say uh apparently it's not uncommon for people to live to be a hundred years old there so wow holy cow yeah yeah so um you know tourism a fountain of youth there too uh, uh, yeah apparently i guess that's where <laughs> ponce de leon found it so tourism is their their top industry uh racks up a lot of money and um, you know, they definitely benefit from that. So they're very friendly people and they love uh, having visitors there. Number six. Now, this was a point that made it climb from low on my list all the way to the top. It's hard to complain about the weather. Average temperatures in Costa Rica are between 70 and 80 degrees Fahrenheit. That's perfect weather to me. Not too hot, not too cold, and that's year round. They don't wow. have such thing as cold winters, hot summers. Spring and fall don't exist there. Now, living somewhere without a change in seasons, I don't know if I would love that. But going on vacation, sign me up, knowing that I can go and pretty much know what the weather will be like. So they do have dry and rainy season. Dry season, December to April. Rainy season, May to November. I'd probably prefer to go when it's dry. Uh, and also, that's the time when you'd want to leave like the cold United States in like January, February, March and go down to the tropical lands of Costa Rica. So that seems perfect. Uh, even if it's maybe a little more expensive, higher tourism, I would want to go then. But, you know, even if you show up in the rainy season, you'll at least know that you'll have comfortable temperatures for whatever it is dry uh, and enjoyable outdoors. So number seven, it's close and it's safe. Three hour plane ride from... Miami, and it's also one of the safest countries in Latin America with uh, crimes against tourists being very rare. It does say, you know, theft is a, something that does happen, but I feel like that's you're going to deal with that pretty much anywhere you go. So, you know, it just says common safety tips. Just, you know, keep those in <laughs> mind still. Like, okay. Uh, and then eight, another major sell point for me, dazzling beaches on two coasts. Uh, they have a lot of coastline on both the Pacific Ocean and the Caribbean Sea of the Atlantic Ocean. And beaches are all open to public by law. So anytime you find a beach, you are more than welcome to go there. 
and uh, I kind of mentioned this earlier, snorkeling, surfing is also pretty big there. So definitely some opportunities to enjoy those beautiful waters and those beautiful beaches. So this article very much sold me wow. on Costa Rica, and uh, that was why it was number one. And I thought I should kind of go step by step there to really explain it and really show off why. And we'll see. I'm not necessarily going to book a vacation to Costa Rica tomorrow, but it has certainly climbed up my list uh, in terms of countries that I'd like to visit. And if I get an opportunity to go to Costa Rica, I will not be turning it down. Well, that that was really impressive. A top five list where the, the number one breaks down into eight. Yes. Uh, I mean, that's, that's real quick maths. And honestly, Corey, uh, after a pitch like that, I feel like I might need to change my list and put a new country at my number one spot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that uh, Poland, Poland would be an interesting country to go to. Uh, <laughs> you know... <laughs> I'm sure that you can play that there, and uh, you know the they all love that. That's kind of like their second national anthem. Yeah, maybe so. they'll bring bring me to the walk so I can see it. Yeah, Liliati's um, probably there, so you'll get to see him. Probably, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that'll do it for this top five and for this episode. A uh, lot of fun talking about the World Cup. Definitely enjoy talking about a sport other than. You know, so the major ones, you know, particularly football this time of year, it's nice to kind of show off our range a little on this episode, appeal to a more uh, widespread sports audience. So definitely appreciate you coming on to help with that. Yeah, thanks for having me. I always enjoy coming on to He's Done It and uh, and talking sports with you. And Brian, a little disappointed he wasn't yeah. here today, but I, yep. I enjoyed the conversation with you as always. Yeah, hopefully next time uh, we have you on, we'll have the full crew. Um, I'm sure that, you know, we can spend more time talking about uh, both kinds of football. We've had you on talk about basketball. So always a pleasure getting you mixed in there. Uh, but of course, Affable Chat is a world of its own. So definitely listen to Ben, watch him, whatever ways. Check out affablechat.com for more information on all the different uh, mediums that he's available on there. That's so. right. And we'll have to get you back on the on Apple chat as well, Corey. Yeah, oh, you, I'd love you've to. You've made some good contributions, so we'll have to look into that. Yeah, definitely would be a good idea to, you know, sp- share the wealth and uh you know get involved in the, the Apple <laughs> chat world because you you've come on uh he's done it a few times now since my last appearance there. So for special guest host Benjamin Carlson, I'm Corey Botney. Thanks everyone. <laughs>